Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are... St- I feel happy. Go ahead. <laughs> I feel happy. Go for a walk. You're not fooling anyone. <laughs> Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, uh, this is the trigger warning. This is a horror podcast, so we will be talking about horror culture and potential sensitive subjects that could involve things like child abuse, murder, rape, F-bombs. Um, just got to get it out of the way because it is a possibility. It doesn't actually happen that often, but uh, it could. You so we have know. to uh, disclaim. But with that, uh, let's see, what do, what do we got coming up in the near future, Steve? Well, we've still got 10 people on deck, actors, directors. Um, 10. You did yes. good work at Stoker concert. They're the ones coming to us now, which is the kind of the point. It's nice, right? <laughs> yes. yes. I've actually had time to work on other things for a chance. Uh, <laughs> I'll be reposting the um, clips from all of our interviews to TikTok and Instagram over the last month or so. I had been um, redoing them with proper audio from the calls and pictures and things like that. Because previously, a long time ago, I had just been doing Instagram off of my phone pointed at the screen. It was a mess. So I was like, screw it. Let's redo it. So finally got that out of the way. Uh, and having, like you said, got a couple people booked after StokerCon and days of the dead that helped give me some more free time to wrap that up. So I actually finished that this morning. And so hopefully over the next week or two, I'll start posting them. That'll be nice. Words. What else? What else? What else? Yes. A uh, little self-promotion, Chris's uh, webcomic, piecesofflesh.com. Uh, you can go check that out. Also, my book, A Guide to the Recovery Toolbox. I've got uh, a coupon code for that over at smashwords.com. You can get it for 99 cents, the electric ver- electronic version, obviously. You do sell a hard copy somewhere, right? Like Amazon, I guess? Paperback. Right. Amazon or lulu.com. I don't think I can do a coupon code for Lulu. i got to look into that. But... Coupon code for Smashwords is LE69E. I think I also posted that recently on Twitter, so you can go f- check it out on Twitter if you don't want to write that down. Nice. What else? What else? What else? Listen parties on Discord every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. That is plenty for now. Yep. So moving into the interview. Moving into the interview. Today we have with us author Lee Allen Howard, known for such works as Death Perception, The Sixth Sense, and The Bedwetter. Hello. Welcome to the show, Lee. Hi. Great to be here. Our pleasure. Yes. I don't is, know how. Hmm? Do you go by Lee or Lee Allen? Lee. Okay. Good, good question. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, uh, let, I'll give you a little um, background on that. I have three sure. first names and three last names. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, I thought my name was kind of unique. I don't know a whole lot of other guys uh, named Lee. And Howard's not a, you know, rare name, but mm-hmm. I don't meet that many Howards either. But, When I searched on Amazon for Lee Howard, um, there's a Lee Howard out there that writes Scooby-Doo mystery novels. Yeah. Yeah, So um, I wouldn't mind having that gig, but I didn't want to be confused with him. So I just stuck my middle name in there and made it as unique as I could. That works. Yep. That that is also something good for the listeners to uh, to know so that they actually search for Lee Allen Howard instead of Lee Howard. Particularly because, you know, if it was a Scooby-Doo mystery, you you might think there might be some overlap there, but (laughs) apparently not. 
Uh, I don't know how much we talked offline about the theme of the interview, but I know what I handed to you at StokerCon had some of the gist of it. Um, we will talk about your fan, you bring a fan of the genre from childhood into teenage years and adulthood. And then there's a wrap up section at the end where we talk about any themes that have come up. Uh, that said, it's not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's anything that you don't want to talk about, I'll just say pass and we'll move on. Um, but before we get into that, uh, do you want to let us know when you're currently working on? Uh, sure. Uh, just this uh, past Friday, two days ago, uh, I released The Covenant Sacrifice, which is uh, LGBTQ horror. What are some other tags that I describe that with? Um, cult horror, religious horror, folk horror, uh, rural horror, if I can say that. Um, gay romance, paranormal romance. Okay. So it's um. There's plenty in there. There's yeah. plenty in there. Yeah, it's uh my typical genre soup. Okay, jumping into childhood. What are your, some of your earliest memories of scary things? Oh goodness! Uh, back then there there weren't a whole lot of scary things like there are today. You know, we only had three channels on the television, and um, I I don't know where I got my love of horror from. It wasn't from either of my parents. My father was an uh, evangelical pastor at the time. I think my first foray into horror was, I don't know if you experienced this when you were a kid, but in my elementary school, every month, the teacher would pass out these scholastic book flyers mm-hmm. with, you know, it was like a little catalog, four page catalog or something of, of books for kids. And there was a book in there from Norman Bridwell called How to Care for Your Monster. It was published mm-hmm. in 1970. And he's known, uh, much more for Clifford the Big Red Dog, yep. oh. but he wrote this wrote this little book that was uh, horror with humor about you know chapters each chapter on how to care for you know a vampire, uh, how to care for the Wolfman, how to care for the Mummy, and uh, I think there was something else. But anyway, that's that's kind of what turned me on. Um, I probably what didn't see any movies besides maybe the old um, Dracula. Hammer Universal. Yes, films. yeah, the old ones from like the thirties, forties. Um, also ran home, uh, elementary school to make it home by four o'clock for Dark Shadows, which I loved. It was like a soap opera. Yeah. Um, so those, I guess, were my earliest influences in childhood. Uh, later on, when I was in, I don't know, maybe eighth grade, uh, I got a hold of. Thomas Tryon's The Other, and um, that just totally electrified me and wanted I, I wanted to become a horror writer because of that. That and um, James Herbert's The Rats, which was his debut. Okay. And uh, from there, I just, horror never left me. <laughs> I have not heard of uh, Thomas Tryon before. How did you... It sounded like you grew up in a bit of a rural area yourself or no? Um, not, well, not at that time. We did move to a rural area, and I probably got a hold of it um, either in the school library or it was on like a shelf in a classroom. In fact, I think that uh, copy of the rats, it had like room 801 or whatever it was or 103 uh, marked on the, um, not the spine, but the edges of the book. Well, I remember taking a razor blade <laughs> and cutting those <laughs> off because 
I took that home and I kept it. <laughs> so that was my first horror-related theft. Um, uh, so what, what was the original question? Uh, I was just wondering how you got your hands on it because I was thinking, I mean, the, the author's name was not familiar to me and I was thinking yes. if you did live in a rural area. I'm like, how did you even get that? Yeah. But- it, it had to have been through school because um, I wasn't, or perhaps, you know, my local library, mm-hmm. but I don't remember going into bookshops at that time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Thomas Tryon was a, uh, he's actually a gay author, but he was in a movie. I think it was in the fifties called I married a man from outer space. Okay. Quite a handsome fellow, but he started out with, uh, uh, the other, not to be confused with Nicole Kidman starring in the others, which came much later. Singular, not plural. Yeah, I wonder was the other about the whole uh, psychological aspect of the other, as in the the other self, or uh, the other is about um, two twin boys ah. and the the kind of relationship that they have, and um, their grandmother kind of teaching one of them how to use, I guess, kind of psychic powers. Mm. But of course, you know, at that age, I, I found it very thrilling, and it was. You know, I'd never read anything like that. So, and it was probably one of my first uh, adult novels that I read. And That's he like also, good Mommy Meets the Shining. <laughs> he also wrote um, Harvest Home, which is kind of a folk horror thing. Uh, they did a mini series on it, starring with um, Betty Davis. She was an older woman. Anyway, I highly recommend those two. And, uh, uh, you know, The Other and The Rats by Herbert. Those are the two iconic books that really stick in my memory and that I always refer to. Okay. Going back to The Other, I mean, so you gave us a general synopsis of what it was about, but what did you enjoy about it other than maybe just those basic facts? There was <sighs> the twins. One of them was was good and tried to discourage the other one from getting into trouble, but the other one was um, kind of, he was kind of pushed the envelope. And just the way that uh, Tryon revealed things in the book, compiled horror upon horror, and then at the climax, um, there's a revelation that just totally blew my blew me away. And I, I don't want to share here because I don't, I don't want to spoil it for any, anybody because I really like people to read that and i i wish that i would um the book is i believe it's out of print i would like to put it back into print Mm. without giving away what the thing was what was your emotional reaction to it (laughs) i think this is what i love i loved first about horror is that i would get like this surge of adrenaline and you know my eyebrows would go up and i would be like you know like holy shit you know i never saw that coming and I may nowadays, but I didn't when I was, you know, 12 years old. Mm. So it was that um, surprise, that twist at the end that really clinched it for me. Okay. I'm almost tempted to suggest that we edit it out of the uh, final interview just to hear what it is. <laughs> wondering <laughs> that says anything. No spoilers for you either. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess we can come back to that maybe. What about the rats? It wasn't a very long book, but uh, it was set in, I think it was London, where they were being overrun by rats. And there's this new breed of rat that is kind of spreading through the city. And they're very violent, and they attack people. 
And so there's like uh, chapters or scenes, uh, episodes in the book where, you know, you'll have a character, they'll introduce the character, and then Herbert will, you know, proceed to kill them off by this invasion or their encounter with these rats. And, um, you know, the character, main character is trying to get city people to you know really take action on this and of course they screw it up and then there's this you know massive rat attack so there's a lot of uh it's very visceral very bloody and the ending of that one too was he really set it up for a sequel and i think he wrote uh, two other books i cannot remember the names of those but that is the first of his uh, first of his novels and the first in the three book series. Okay. Other than maybe the fact that it was visceral and bloody, what did you like about those? Or was it just the fact that it was visceral and bloody? <laughs> yeah, that works. Um, what did I like about it? Uh, yes, that it was visceral and bloody. And um, I mean, there were certain things in my childhood that I was, that were especially horrific to me. And of course, you know, there weren't as many back in my days as there are now it's you know horror has splintered so much but you know rats um spiders uh skeletons ghosts i actually wrote a story in i think it was second grade that was full of skeletons witches and blood and my teacher gave it to my mm-hmm. elementary school principal who read it and he was the uh president of the local lions club where Oh, nice. We lived, and my father was also a member. And <laughs> Principal Sprunger fined my father, the pastor, a dime because the pastor's son had written such a horrific story what? full of skeletons, witches, and blood. Find him, like, like actually charged him money. Yeah, and you know, that's the first time that money exchanged hands for my fiction, but it did not end up in my pocket <laughs> because I, I would have gone down the street and bought myself a, uh, an ice cream cone at the White Cottage because they were a dime. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the rats, uh, yeah, it was very, very thrilling. And um, I guess there was, it was there were some sex scenes in it that I hadn't really, you know, read before at that age so it was just kind of racy and very exciting to me how'd your dad take to the fine he laughed okay good. Yeah, I, I wasn't i wasn't in any trouble but uh just checking because i could yeah. who knows you said your dad was an evangelical pastor yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that it was all in good humor okay good yeah. so I can also relate to the uh, overreaction of uh, school administration to slightly disturbing stories. I think mine was later <laughs> in high school as a freshman, but yeah, yeah, I got the same treatment. Like, uh, so this is a good story, but we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> yeah, kind of like Facebook. You know, when I search for horror, it says <laughs> it pops up and it says, "Do you need help?" <laughs> <laughs> it actually does. It does. <laughs> oh, Just checking on you. Uh, when you mentioned a horrific childhood. Um, and then talking about rats and spiders and skeletons and stuff like that. At first I thought you were talking about, um, you know, actually having something traumatizing happening during your childhood, but it sounds like maybe that's not exactly what you meant. Maybe no. you were talking about this. Uh, hmm? uh, yeah, it was, um, 
I don't know, general things that I found scary then. I didn't didn't have a traumatic childhood. It was okay. it was pretty good. But um I don't know why I thought that, you know, skeletons could just get up and move on their own when they didn't have any musculature <laughs> to, to power those bones, you know, but that was like one of my fears that and when my best friend and I were playing, you know, we were always involved with quicksand, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yes. you know, quicksand is a, is a big danger. And um, yes. I, I never experienced that a much bigger problem than we knew. That's right. Did you participate in Halloween as a kid? Yes. Yeah, we went uh, door to door, and you know, I dressed up. Uh, I think I went as Frankenstein one year. I probably went as a ghost one year. Favorite costume? Hmm. I think I went as Bigfoot one year. Although I'm not really <laughs> that tall, I'm only five nine. But I took a pair of my dad's old pajamas, dyed them black with writ dye, and then I like use. Some kind of a crochet hook or something like that to pull through like lengths of brown yarn, <laughs> like an in inch square, so that I would <laughs> turn into this furry thing. So that, okay. I think that was the most work I ever put into a costume, and uh, yeah, that's why I, can't I remember think of the, the name of it now. But I've uh, talked to a couple of people who cosplayed as uh, as Chewbacca, and <laughs> that's I think it's like punch hair hair punching or something like that. But they, they do mm-hmm. the same thing only. Much denser in several thousand times. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's the same kind of process that they use. Like if you get your hair highlighted and they put a cap on your head, and then she like pulls little strands of hairs through to um, yep. bleach them. That'd be a hot costume. Uh, yeah, but where we lived, uh, I remember wearing my winter coat. For I was going to say it was October, so <laughs> yeah, and yeah, there was yeah, snow, snow on the ground. So. Mm-hmm. Well, this is coming from someone living in Florida, so you know October here uh, is seventies. Um, yeah, <laughs> lucky if it's seventies, probably eighties or nineties still. Yeah. Uh, least favorite costume in childhood? Well, you know they used to sell these. I think they do still sell these things, but um, they had them where they had some kind of a jumpsuit type thing that was your character and then there was a plastic mask uh-huh. Uh-huh. with a Here little slit in the mouth you know that this little elliptical <laughs> slit that you could like stick your, tally stick your tongue through there <laughs> and like okay you know what we we have gotten this, these are uh ben cooper ben costumes cooper, we know yeah. this now because they've come up so many times in this podcast <laughs> but i think Congrats, because I think you're the only one to unprompted uh, bring up the tongue and the slit thing. Oh, yeah. I remember that and, like, you know, cutting my taste buds off on that little slit. Yeah. Right? Because you have to, you, you're just drawn to stick your tongue through the thing and then yeah. it gets stuck and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then you never do that again. <laughs> yeah. Most people never do that again. <laughs> present company excluded <laughs> yeah and then, and then it, if you wore the mask more than once then it was like you know it started to smell like candy breath you know <laughs> <laughs> or blood depending on how badly you uh, cut your tongue depending on what they were ha- handing out door to door did you have any scary dreams as a kid I had this recurring nightmare where um, Dracula, the Wolfman, and the Mummy were chasing me around the house at breakneck speed, and they were just like right behind me, and that happened several times um, in my childhood. Hmm. Interesting that you had all three of them chasing you. 
Yes, yeah, right. all three, because that's basically um, they were the top three monsters at that time. They didn't have there wasn't any Freddy Krueger, there wasn't any Michael Myers or you know anything like that. And I do remember um, what else did I watch when I lived there? That was before I was nine. I think I watched Kolchak, um, The Night Stalker. That sounds familiar. There were there were two movies: Kolchak, The Night's Stalker, and then the Night's and then the Night Strangler. And then there was a television series. I think it was from night maybe nineteen seventy two to four, or maybe four to five, something like that. Was the Night Stalker about Richard Ramirez? Um, probably just a common title. Yeah, and also when I was an adolescent. Um, trilogy of terror uh these three vignettes starring karen black Mm -hmm. and there was one about a zuni fetish doll Mm -hmm. and the story was originally uh written by richard matheson Hmm. and it was is oh yeah still a couple of times (laughs) that's another one that sticks in my mind is something that's you know seminal and gearing me toward horror i want to say it was um nicholas Byrne. Nicholas Berman Vince, uh, the chatterer. I think he was the one that brought up that Zuni doll. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's brought up the Zuni doll. Uh, another one of our guests, I can't remember who it was. I think it was a woman was an author. Uh, but yeah, that, that's usually the first thing that comes to mind when anyone mentions trilogy of terror is the Zuni doll. Yeah. yeah. It's did creepy. You, did you have anything in real life terrify you as a kid? I can't really, nothing is coming to mind right now. Okay. Um, not every question is going to land. We just ask because you never know. Yeah. Do you remember the first person that you hurt? The first person that I hurt, I think that would be my sister. Okay. I cannot remember what she did to me, but I had a pair of scissors and not safety scissors. <laughs> a oh. pair of um, chrome scissors, you know, with with black handles like they used to have fabric scissors. Yeah, yeah fab. Yes, because my mother was se- was a uh, seamstress, and so I think I grabbed those, and she got it in the arm. Oh, damn! Yeah, <laughs> and there, there there were consequences for that. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> I want to chime in here on this one because this is a new feature that we're adding to the podcast. And you know what, Steve? I think this this is going to be an interesting one because yeah. when you're talking about childhood, especially injuries happen accidentally a lot, or just you know you don't know what you're doing because you're a child. So I have a feeling a lot of the answer in childhood is going to be this thing happened. I had no idea what I was doing. Case mm-hmm. in point, in my case, uh, I broke a girl's collarbone in oh, preschool. Wow. Oh my. I was backing away from the teacher who was scolding me for doing something wrong, and I fell onto her. And no one believes me to this day, but that is my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, I think I was like five, six, maybe. And uh, yeah, I sent a girl to the hospital. Wow. <laughs> That's the first time I hurt someone. Yeah. Well, you said you don't remember why, why that happened. So yeah, and that's what I'm saying. If, if, we, uh, if we do this in childhood, that's going to, yeah. I, I have a feeling it's going to come to a lot of, uh, this thing happened because I was a kid and I had no idea what I was doing. Well, it, but some people may have a recollection of why it happened. You never know. True. Yeah. Um, so the second one in that pair of questions is, do you remember the first person you helped? Hmm. hmm. I, one. I, I don't know if this was the first person I helped. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't. I think I was about 12 and I was out with a friend 
who was, I think, a year younger than me. And we it was wintertime, and we'd been sled riding or, or somewhere out in the cold, and it was very cold. And his feet were freezing. And I can't remember where we were sitting, but he was a, he was afraid, like on the verge of tears, that he was going to uh, his get frostbite in his toes, and he was going to lose his toes. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, why don't you put them on my stomach? <laughs> and so he took off his boots and socks and I lifted up my shirt and he put them on my stomach and I gasped and I crossed my arms <laughs> over his uh, feet and toes until they got warm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he remembers that to this day. And that was, oh gosh, 50 years ago. <laughs> I should think he would. That's a really good idea. <laughs> Based on the gasp, I'm guessing the deal. They were pretty cold. <laughs> they were cold. <laughs> Toesicles. Yeah. I mean, that's like the the worst intentional uh, version of you know cold feet in the bed at night. Like, uh, please put your feet directly on the most vulnerable spot of my body, and your feet are probably ice cold. Yeah. But hey, it they got the job done, right? Yeah. Nice that you're still friends with someone that you knew at twelve as well. That too. Uh, let's see. Was there ever a time in your childhood when you felt completely calm or safe or at bliss? I think probably the more majority of the time I did, you know, there wasn't any extreme trauma when I was a kid. Um, you know, we lived in a small community that was, you know, we had the run of the neighborhood. I hit the door at like 7am, you know, in the summer and would be gone until lunch and then wouldn't come back until dinner time, and then wouldn't come back until dark. And we had the run of town, usually in our bare feet. The town of Burn, out in Indiana, that thing is flat as a pancake. And I easily put 20 miles a day on my bike. But we, you know, my friends and I, we went everywhere. So, you know, I felt safe. There weren't there weren't any play dates or anything like that. You made your own friends. Um, you know, if you misbehaved, uh, your friend's mother would, um, you know, read you the riot act, bring you out or, you know, swat your ass and send you home and either call her or, (laughs) you know, my mom would ask and then she'd swat me again. (laughs) So, uh, you know, now that kind of corporal punishment is, is seen as being traumatic, but it, you know, I don't know that it made me any worse for who I am, although I, you know, do write, write horrors. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't necessarily make you a bad or a damaged person. I think that's all the, what this show is all about. Mm. Yeah. Moving into teen years, then, what were some of the scary stories or books or movies that affected you in your teenage years? Okay. Starting in adolescence, that's when I read, you know, The Other and uh, The Rats. Um, there was another big collection of stories called i think it's tales of terror in the supernatural um very thick book i had a paperback copy and i read a lot of those and i think it was originally published in 1947 my father uh the pastor he took down off the top shelf in our den his college freshman english literature reader and he opened it to a story by William Faulkner called Rose for Emily. And that was another one that just like really, you know, 
really exploded in my mind. I already mentioned Kolchak the Night Stalker. Uh, there was a movie called Berserk. I think that came out in 1967. I saw that. I think there was some kind was of... Was it about a guy who was a knight that got his hand bit off by crazy amorphous creatures? And then there was also another knight named Griffith with white hair, but he was evil? No, I, I think this was... Okay, I'm not yeah. sure if, if Joan Crawford was in it. Um, I know that there was a scene with circus high wire performers in it. And somehow that one sticks in my mind. And there was another one called Crow Haven Farm. And I think it was a um, tele- made-for-television movie. Uh, it was an Irwin Allen production. And it starred Hope Lang, uh, who she and her husband, I guess inherit this house and then she starts having dreams and memories about um being tortured as some pilgrim like she's been reincarnated and and the people that are in her dream uh are there around her in real life and one of the things that they do is they put this kind of like wooden plank or door on top of her when she's pregnant and they start um stacking stones on it and that one just really you know, I just watched it like a week or two ago. And of course it was, <laughs> there was nothing that exciting about it, but you know, at a tender age, it really uh, raised my hackles. Yeah. I mean, especially if you've, you know, if that's a, a new uh, concept to you, that method of torture and the crazy and really disturbing thing about that is that's real. That is a thing they used to do to people just stack stones on top of a, a plank or a piece of wood until they smoosh them to death. Mm-hmm. That's what it was about. And uh, I didn't really get into, like I said, they, they didn't really televise a whole lot of movies. I mean, cable wasn't invented until I was in college, you know, like a college freshman. So it's very limited. And my parents didn't take me to anything too scary. So it was when I was able to drive when I was like 16 that I started going to movies. And of course, I saw uh, the original Star Wars then, which I thought was just tremendous. Um, special effects were so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I also saw a number of uh, The Blue Lagoon. Uh, that's not horror at all, but um, I just really love that one. Uh, n- first nudity that I saw in a movie. And then I saw this movie called uh, Halloween by uh, a director named John Carpenter. And that one just, it was really, really different for its day. And I loved that one. And there were other ones, Prophecy about some kind of mutant bear. Yeah, that is a really awesome film with a a crazy concept that's really cool. It just has a few scenes in it that just kind of like break the whole thing. Other than that, it would have been awesome. Yeah. So, I, you know, I was able to see things like that that came to our local theaters. Okay. Going back to uh, A Rose for Emily, what did you like about that one? Well, it was rather understated and um, subtle. But in the end, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to spoil it for anybody that's not read it. <laughs> but we find out that this woman has, I guess... I can't remember if she poisoned her, her husband or her um, lover and he's still lying in bed 
you know, as a corpse, as a skeleton. And beside him, you know, on the other pillow is a single iron gray, gray hair that lets you know that she's been sleeping beside him all this time. So it's that, it's those um, um, endings that really end with a uh, punch to the gut that, that really turned me on. Mm-hmm. Was it the fact that she was sleeping next to a corpse that was... Yes, because you don't, you don't really figure it out until the very last line. And then, you know, the horror, the realization happens in, in your mind. And, uh-huh. and you're just left there. You know, this is the end. And you're left there with that revelation. Wow. Got it. Yeah. Southern, Southern Gothic. Yeah. Uh, Tales of Terror and the Supernatural. It sounded like that was some sort of a anthology, maybe? or Yes, it was an anthology of um, much older fiction, even from like the 1800s. Um, the monkey's paw was in there. Mm-hmm. Quite a few other things, but the, you know, it was originally published in 1947. I don't know if they ever swapped any stories out, but it was, so it was like late 1800s and the first, almost the first half of the 20th century. So, and it was very thick book. So there are a lot of stories in it and there was, mm-hmm. you know, probably, Gosh, I can't think of the, of the name of this guy. August Der- Derleth, Derleth. That's that's not him. Um, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. Okay. Do you remember other than the monkey, monkey's pod? Do you remember any other stories that stood out to you? No, not not by name. I I would have to look through the table of contents, and that would you know jog my memory for what, what I thought was really uh, memorable. Do you remember a, a story in general of just, even if you don't remember the name of the story? Mm, no. Okay. Not off the top of my head. Not, not enough to put it together in any kind of discernible fashion. Okay. What about Berserk? What did, uh, what, what spoke to you about Berserk? I think there was a scene in where the, there were these two high wire performers and one of them like, I don't know whether there is no net under them or the net breaks or something, but one of them falls off and they just, you know, hit the ground and it just, um, you know, really uh, shocked me. Uh, I I guess it's the same feeling that I I still get uh, when I watch America's funniest home videos. I mean, when it first (laughs) came out, it was a pretty good show. Now it's just videos about stupid people getting hurt, <laughs> you know, like falling off a, of a fence or something like that. And I get this terrible, like feeling in my stomach, you know, like I've been poked there or something. Um, but I, I guess that's kind of the feeling that I got when I watched uh, Berserk. And there was a couple um, movies, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. I think that was from the sixties. And there was another, whatever happened to baby Jane? with Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. Okay. Well, uh, we've got already here a couple to talk about. Uh, how about Halloween? You'd mentioned that that one, uh, really stood out to you for what it did at the time. Yes. Can you describe that? I guess the, the sense of relentless suspense, knowing that, you know, Michael Myers, this this guy with a mask on, he was in the house. He was in the dark house. And, you know, of course, the uh, misbehaving teenagers don't know that he's there. And suddenly he, you know, steps out and, like, pins 
some guy to the wall in the kitchen. And then, you know, you go upstairs and there's like a headstone <laughs> on the girl's bed. And, uh, and Jamie Lee Curtis, um, you know, it was just like so many scenes where she almost got it, you know, and it was just, I was on the very edge of my seat and there just wasn't anything that I had seen prior to that, that it was, that was like it. And it just like, I, I remember um, gushing about it to people and I probably saw it more than once. Hmm. What about prophecy? Hmm. That's in my queue. Now I need to rewatch it. Um, I think the concept of it was very interesting. And of course, you know, some mutant creature and seeing, you know, on the big screen, seeing R rated movies for the first time, you know, my parents certainly never took me to any R rated movies. In fact, during that time, they didn't even have PG 13 yet. Right. They did have R, they had uh, G, they had PG and then they had X movies. And, um, I think my dad took me one time to a, a PG movie. It wasn't a horror movie. We went to the drive-in, but he, he, he didn't appreciate the movie. It was, I don't know, something with Burt Reynolds in it. And, uh, so, you know, I was very kind of sheltered. So when I saw our movies and there was a lot of violence and blood in it, I had never seen that before. So it was, it was a big deal. Going back to the prophecy for a minute. Um, you know, part of what we do sometimes digging into our emotions helps point out something that we've overlooked or missed or something like that. And so for the prophecy, you just mentioned, you know, mutant creatures, but was there anything in particular that, you know, sparked any kind of a reaction? Well, seeing it on the big screen and also seeing it in color um, was something that was, you know, certainly contributed to it you know, because a lot of the stuff that was on TV still in those days especially if they were older movies they were black and white right and of course nothing was that graphic so seeing this seeing the special effects you know the makeup effects on the creature of that size in color was shocking so some of those first movies that i saw it's not that they were so great it's that i'd never seen anything like that before and, yeah and so they stick in my mind got it did you participate in Halloween in your teenage years? I believe I did, but at some point I stopped. I don't know when I stopped. Probably all throughout high school when I lived at home after I went away to college. And of course that came to an end, although, you know, I did go to Halloween parties. Right. Yep. Yep. Favorite costume during your teens? Hmm. I remember one time I put on uh, some makeup to be a zombie and it was, um, I don't know. There was temper paint, something like that. Something that probably shouldn't be used on your skin. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to be another combo favorite and least costume. <laughs> yeah. And of course I, I painted my face with this and then when it dried, it kind of cracked and flaked. And yeah, then I, works. you know, put black stuff on my eyes and I, I don't know what I put on my lips. Maybe it was black too, but it was, you know, I was a zombie. So I had ripped clothing and things like that. And then I went out, um, I was 21, so I, I was out at the bars with that and uh, dancing with that stuff with makeup flaking off my face onto the dance floor. <laughs> I, that's not as bad as I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say it stained your skin. <laughs> no, it did not. 
<laughs> I was thinking some kind of skin damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, glad that didn't happen. Least favorite costume during your teens? Oh, I can't. Re- I can't really remember. Okay, probably something that was either too hot or bulky or had props with it that came to be a pain in the ass. You know, by the end right. of the evening. You know, or that you, you know, I had to like set down or put under my arm if I wanted to actually eat some candy between houses. <laughs> right. Did you have any scary dreams as a teen? Yes. I can't remember them now, um, but nightmares were a thing when I was younger. Okay. Uh, if you, even if you don't remember what they were about uh, in terms of the actual dream content, do you remember them? maybe having a similar theme in terms of emotional, you know, was it anxiety? Was it trying to think some other examples? Um, Do you have any sense at all of there being a common theme or just? Well, I probably had the common stress dreams of not being prepared for something or, you know, getting off the school bus and and I don't have my pants on. (laughs) (laughs) Usually it had something to do with, you know, something being after me or somebody I knew or, you know, somebody that was close to me and something happening to them, you know, that kind of thing. Things that I didn't want to happen in real life that would be very traumatic, very uh, horrifying or uh, traumatizing. Okay. Was there ever a time in your teens when when you were terrified of something in real life? Um, yeah, I was, uh, I wasn't out then and I didn't own up to my orientation as a a gay male. And so back in my day, people were extremely inappropriate with stuff like that. And, you know, language, you know, fag queer was bandied about by a lot of people, you know, that's not really acceptable today, but, um, I was around 16. I was in one of the high school restrooms and one guy that was kind of a, he was kind of a joker, kind of a clown guy. He was also so kind of a dick. Um, he was in the, um, restroom with me and I was there and I, I don't know whether I was in the stall or the urinal or the sink or something. And he wasn't quite there with me, you know, right beside me or anything, but he called me a fag. And of course, you know, I'm having heart palpitations and, um, and everything. Cause here's this guy, you know, I, I don't want to be beaten up because that happened too, but I kind of confronted him and I, you know, I said, what did you call me? And he kind of started backpedaling, you know, tough guy. And I just kind of got real intense <laughs> with him. And he kind of backed away and, and left. And I think it was at my, it was either my 35th or my 40th class reunion. <clears throat> I met him there. Still has the same curly hair. It's grayer. And mm. we're standing around a circle with some other people, you know, drinking our, our beer, whatever. And he asked me who I am. And I told him, I said, I'm, I'm Lee Howard. And he got this sick look on my face and he wouldn't look me in the eye. So here I thought I was terrified all these years. And every time I remembered it, it, it just made me sick, you know, this memory. But here I basically owned him 
in that restroom and he still remembered it and he couldn't look me in the eye still when we were like <laughs> over 50 years old i'm like i think wow. i need to do, um you know kind of readjust that memory i wonder if uh and you know him obviously better than i do even if that's not much but you know there are a lot of people who uh overcompensate shall we say mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. i wonder if he was feeling ashamed for that I I don't know. I I don't know. I guess we may never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I'm ever going to ask him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's not really like a, a, a friendly subject to bring up. <laughs> uh, let's see. Was there ever a time in your teens where you felt completely calm or safe or bliss? No. Okay. No. Uh, now things things had changed once I reached puberty and I was dealing with you know issues and uh and you know things that weren't acceptable in my not just the general community but certainly in my uh religious upbringing yeah you know so always felt like uh everybody was watching me or they could you know tell and if and if they knew what I was really like, you know, was I going to get beat up? Was I going to get, um, you know, berated for it? Right. Uh, okay. Moving into adult years, then, uh, what are some of the scary stories or books or movies that have stood out to you in your adult years? I believe that's when I started reading, um, Stephen King. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the first one that I read of his was the shining. Mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't until later when I, I mean, I, I, I always uh, had always tried my hand at writing stories, and they were usually dark in nature, but I didn't get anything published at that time. But when I really started reading horror diligently, it was a lot of Stephen King, Ramsey Campbell, whom I love, Joe R. Lansdale. Those are the ones that are coming to mind. I mean, you know, I would read, I've read so many things that, I read them and next month I can't even remember what the title is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that my mother's the same way. She's like a, a book every two weeks that might kill the answers to my questions that I was going to ask, but <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I, I'm like really old. So some of this uh, stuff has happened a long time ago. I was going to ask uh, for Ramsey Campbell and Joe Lansdale. Cause you'd mentioned the shining for Stephen King. I was going to ask for the other two authors. If you had one book that stood out to you from each of those. I think that, um, I don't know whether this, this was the first of Campbell's that I read, but I think this was his first novel. Um, the doll who ate his mother. Hmm. I've read, I've read that at least three times and okay. it's not strictly horror. It's more like kind of a thriller, but I've read some of his short fictions. I had a couple of anthologies. I think one was alone with the horrors, um, but just the, you know, the feeling of dread and confusion and um, anxiety you know, that they caused and how he, how he was able to put those kind of emotions in the story and evoke them from readers, from me is something that I really wish I could figure out so that I could do the same, but he's mm -hmm. absolutely a master at that. What about Joe Lansdale? Joe Lansdale. I think 
one of the first things that I read of his was Mucho Mojo. That's a fun title. Yes. It was the Happ and Leonard series. Really? Yes. I can't remember okay. where, where, whether a, I read uh, the second one first or whether I started with the first one. I've been looking to, to check that out because that's uh, that's also a, a TV series or an yes. online streaming series starring Pollyanna McIntosh. Yes. Also had a show. Yes. I thought the books were better, but the show is the yeah. show is pretty good, and I was happy. What has happened? Happy for about? Him. Like I, what has happened to what? Yeah, what, what exactly has happened? Leonard about like what's the um, happened? Leonard Leonard are these two characters, and they team up to solve mysteries, but they're they're dark mysteries. And um, okay, Hap I think is a white guy. Leonard is kind of a really tough uh, black gay guy. And they team up together with some really seedy Southerners. I think that it's a set in Texas. And uh, it's just kind of gritty, but, you know, uh, he writes very well. So I like, I haven't read the entire series. I think he's coming out with something new, too, recently with them as characters. But uh, there were those. And I know I read a few others of his early collection of short stories i think in the title was something about high cotton okay and i liked his stories in that one although i can't really remember you know any of them by name or subject matter what do you remember about mucha mojo seeing a gay character in it you know that was wasn't some tragic person um i was just kind of like taken for granted almost mm-hmm. And that they were, you know, he was really a gritty, kind of tough person character. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the combination of horror and mystery was something that I really enjoyed. Because if, if I would say, like, where am I on, this, on the genre spectrum? Typically, horror is lumped in with speculative, so it's like sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. But... I do not care for fantasy and I can't stand science fiction. <laughs> I just, I do not like science fiction. Um, I did read some when I was younger, but I, I tried to read some for, you know, my MFA that I just earned last month and I don't like it anymore. I'm more on the spectrum of like maybe some dark fantasy, horror, dark crime, uh, you know, crime, anything supernatural, mystery things with more intrigue it sounds like. yes yeah whereas sci-fi is just kind of uh altruistic and utopian most of the time unless it's cyberpunk in which case uh the future is ruined <laughs> yeah so it's funny that you're talking about you know mystery uh and horror but you don't like sci-fi because you know there's a bit of speculative uh dna shall we say in both I'm guessing maybe that it's because in in the horror genre, the speculative nature is more about the characters than, you know, in sci-fi, maybe it's about technology and you don't care about technology is, do you think that's an accurate statement or do you think there's a better way to phrase it? Um, I think that is accurate. Also, I I guess like the, the topics that they tackle in science fiction, um, just, they don't really interest me. You know, I'm, I'm looking for something with, crime uh anything sordid <laughs> anything having to do with squalor having to do with uh 
you know, the supernatural, things like that. Um, that's what I'm more interested in. You know, I, I'm not really excited about the premise being able to be possible somehow scientifically, either, either now or in the future. And I would, I would watch, I watch more sci-fi than I would read. I, I don't enjoy reading it, mm. but like uh, movies such as Splinter, mm. which is kind of a mixture of horror and sci-fi. It kind of is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did they ever explain where that thing came from? Was, was there like a shooting star in the beginning of the film or something? I think it had some kind of a, a alien cause to it. So, you know, yeah. they're not big on, on the uh, science part, but I thought that was a nice mix. Mm-hmm. So for the adult section, um, do you remember the last person you hurt? Probably um, my last uh, boyfriend that I broke up with last end of last summer. Okay. I don't think I, you know, traumatized him or hurt him terribly, but <laughs> I let him down. Break up too. Definitely, right. you know. Yes. So. Last person you helped? Last person I helped. I have a friend here in town, and uh, he's been wanting to paint his bedroom in his apartment for months, and uh, can't afford the paint. So I gave him some money toward a gallon of paint. Okay. Uh, have you had any scary dreams as an adult? I, I have, not as many. Um, I was put on some kind of a medication uh, by a doctor, and it sparked nightmares i can't remember you know what they were about or anything but i just remember waking up you know from them so you know discontinued the medication they went away Mm -hmm. probably a good idea (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) has there ever been anything in real life that terrified you as an adult yes this is starting to come out in my fiction um like when i was writing the covenant sacrifice i've been working on that for like 15 years and so this was back during the i don't necessarily want to get political but just so you understand from my personal situation conservative politics isn't very kind to um lgbtq people no and it's (laughs) yeah yeah it's true that is unfortunately a thing Uh, yeah it is a thing and so i started working on this novel about religious christian-based homophobia i had the idea and i wanted to put it out there and then obama took office and things changed for the better so i thought well you know this story isn't as relevant (laughs) anymore you know people people can get married later right right just just wait yeah well it was you know that kind of a break there where i could like stew and Mm -hmm. think about things you know when Trump came into office, then I resurrected that project and I started working on it diligently and, you know, carried me through for four years. But Mm -hmm. I did not feel safe during those entire four years. Mm. You know, I suppose it's how uh, conservatives feel, you know, when a, a Democrat is in office in the U.S., you know, that they're very disturbed about what's going on. But, uh, you know, I just never knew when my rights were going to be pulled out from under me. Flipping that question around, has there ever been a time in your adult years when you felt completely calm or safe or bliss? Yes. Uh, a couple of years ago, I 
came out of a protracted depression and I just started getting better. And then I was very prolific and um, wrote several books during that time that are still in the pipeline. My house was paid off. My car was paid off. Everything was, was good. I enjoyed that and I uh, made use of it. Mm-hmm. Not a bad thing. Halloween is adult. Yeah, forgot to ask that. Say that again. Asking about if you participated in Halloween as adult, favorite costume, least favorite costume. I don't really celebrate any hol- holidays except Halloween. Mm-hmm. Basically, the few decorations that I have, they're up all year round. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. You know, it's like how many skulls does one need? I, I am a. Uh, the answer is all. Yes, I, I love skulls. There are skulls in just about every room i i do like the skulls for some reason you know any any buddy that's anyone has one Mm, just 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 think about it any anyone i mean everybody has one do you mean everybody who anyone who's anyone has two (laughs) (laughs) anyone anybody who has one <laughs> yeah, wait. I can't remember what I said. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, that reminds me of a, I think it was a Ray Bradbury story about some guy realizing that on the inside of him is a skeleton. <laughs> He's yeah, yeah. afraid of skeletons. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I do like oh, the skeletons no. and the skulls. Yeah. I, I have probably 20 t shirts. At least 15 of them have skulls on them. <laughs> Same. I have, I have an entire chest of drawers that's all t-shirts and 75% of them are either skeletons or horror. <laughs> yep. This is a topic that hasn't come up in the call. I'm curious to dig into that. What do you love about skulls? Well, you know, they've always got a smile on their face. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't really know where the love of skulls came from, but I just do love them. And there's a lot of AI art that is being, uh, you know, shopped around on Facebook's Facebook uh, groups and stuff like that, that um, I'm appreciating. But um, this is where your brain lives and seeing it, you know, they're just they're not that sturdy. You know, they have fissures in them. Uh, if you've ever seen a child's skull. It is a true nightmare, a true nightmare, because before their adult teeth have descended, you know, knock, their baby teeth have fallen out and the uh, adult ones come down. They're like stored up there, um, yep. like under your nose and above your lips. And it's just, wow, that's really horrifying to me. So the next two questions I'm going to ask at the same time, because it could be the same answer for both, or it could be, do, could be two different answers. but. What would you say is your favorite movie? And what would you say uh, have you watched more times than any other? Oh, gosh. I can't. I don't know. I don't know if I can really say that I have an all-time favorite movie. Like, I have I divided them into various genres or categories. And I have, I guess, some favorites in each. <clears throat> what do I watch the most? I really liked the others. Mm-hmm. A recent one with Nicole, relatively recent one with Nicole Kidman. I kind of like that um, supernatural thriller and horror uh, combination. 
Uh, what's another one that I've watched? I've watched Night of the Living Dead numerous times. Um, oh, you have to watch that one on July 3rd. I mean, that's tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, oh, wait, did you say night or return? Night. Oh. See, um, never mind. I lived in uh, Pittsburgh most of my life. Mm. And so the newscaster that was on that movie, he was actually a Pittsburgh newscaster. Mm. And they mm. called him Chili Billy Cardilly. Bill, Will, okay. Bill Cardell, yes. and then he called him Ch- Chili Willie Cardilly because besides, you know, doing the news or maybe it was the weather, um, he also hosted some kind of a horror, Saturday horror movie feature, you know, so he was the host of that and then they would show some, you know, old horror movie and those are the ones that I watched when I was, you know, adolescent, young teenager. What else have I bought recently? When we ask about favorite movie, we understand that, you know, it's a moving target and things change, you know, from moment to moment. But Mm -hmm. usually there's a a deeper reason why one comes to mind. And so if I were to ask, what's the first one that comes to mind? What would you say? Yeah, see, I'm like searching in my head. There isn't one that's like really popping up. I'm like trying to review my DVD shelves. Mm -hmm. I think a movie called Chained chained it's uh i think it's 2012 or 2013 it was i believe yeah, it was jennifer Le- jennifer lynch's debut it was yes. that's right yes um, vincent d'onofrio david lynch's daughter yes david lynch's daughter and she What'd you like about that one character development mm-hmm. vincent d'onofrio is is not my favorite actor you know i just don't really enjoy watching him but i cannot say that he's not a good actor and he certainly did a great job of playing this serial killer who raises the son of uh, one of his uh, woman victims Um, but just the situation of you know this kid being chained in the house and being raised uh, with values to become a serial killer like his adoptive father Mm -hmm. i just thought was really really kind of crazy yeah jennifer lynch i think also directed something recently that i saw did she was she uh the director of brand new cherry flavor i something i've watched recently i have there's some kind of a netflix show that i've watched recently that i i've seen her name on maybe it's maybe it's not that but um brand new cherry flavor was awesome yeah that I would have to say that that's one of my all-time um, favorites series. Would you like about that? Uh, it was just very different. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. So there was horror in it. There was basically witchcraft. I, I can't remember the name of the woman that plays Boro, but she was just she came off so sweet and so laid back. But she was like really. <laughs> she had bad things in mind for people and she was willing, she was willing to do them if you could give her what she wanted. Yeah. And it was effectively delivered because I kind of fell into the trap of uh, her being a benevolent character when she's introduced. Mm -hmm. She seems like the, the sweet old grandmother Mm -hmm. character that's here to help the protagonist. As, as the series goes along, you're like, no, she's just here to get what she wants. (laughs) She doesn't care who the hell she steps on (laughs) to get. This woman is evil. Yeah, she uh, she really gave me the creeps, and um, just like the r- r- relentless of things getting worse and worse for whoever the the director guy was, the one of the antagonists of uh, 
Lisa Nova. Do you see any kinds of common threads about what kind of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical, supernatural? I've always loved ghost stories. So things like The Other and The Others, they both fit into that category. Ghost Story by Peter Straub is, you know, something that sticks in my mind is something that I really like. Um, I do like psychopaths and movies about them. Mm-hmm. In Dreams, yeah. which was Robert, I think it was Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah. From, I, I don't know, maybe like one. 15 years ago. There is somewhat of a, just an intrigue to <clears throat> psychopaths. Yeah, like uh, The Cell also. Yes. Just like people that are wired incorrectly internally and, and why they do the horrible things they do. Yes. Yeah, that would that would be like um, my book, The Bedwetter, uh, Journal of a Budding Psychopath. I uh, did a lot of research for that, and I felt like that character kind of like really, you know, you talk about character possession, and writers, fiction writers talk about that, where, you know, the character just kind of wants to do a thing of their own so you have to follow them and, and write them through it to see what they're going to do but i felt like i was possessed by this character and um just writing in his voice from first person present just uh, you know took me like it only took me like i don't know it wasn't even three months to write the book and i was just like consumed with it it's about a uh this kid in high school, um, he was a skinny kid, didn't talk much. We weren't real, you know, close friends or anything, but he had uh, pretty long hair. And then one day he came to school and his head was uh, buzzed. And I said, uh, hey, man, you, you really got a haircut, you know. Um, Why just decide to do that? And he got extremely upset. And... Uh, he never told me, but I guess maybe s- this other girl was standing there and, and she said, whenever he wets the bed, uh, his parents shave his head. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And so that story, I, the idea just really gripped me until I developed a character. And then the character kind of took me over and wrote his own story. So that, that, that one is a, probably one of my darkest books. Very twisted. That's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I thought that was going in a different direction, but <laughs> that was not the direction I was <laughs> expecting. Well, you know, it, it causes this, uh, uh, the character in the book, um, to then fantasize about, uh, you know, finding some woman that he can shave, you know, and, um, hmm. it doesn't, things don't turn out well. <laughs> That's all I'll say. I didn't think so. Is it uh, is it on par with Maniac? Does he go a little too close on the shave? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, you could <laughs> you could say that. I just watched uh, I watched the uh, original one. I think it was last year. I watched the one with Elijah Wood, uh, whom I love, uh, just like two weeks ago. Just as good, right? Um, and they both have their strong suits. Yeah. yeah, he did a good job recreating it. He did. I think so. So this is normally where we would give a summary of any topics that have come up multiple times and then discuss that uh, and also maybe give you an opportunity to say we're right or wrong or adjust the uh, synopsis if if you think it needs adjusting. Two or three things that I think have come up multiple times 
early on, you mentioned being an adrenaline junkie and some of the things that you liked, but as the conversation continued, it seemed like the topics that have been coming up more often have been about vulnerability and relationships. I think that is insightful and I would tend to agree with you there. Um, I think my early fiction was more situational about things, but then the more I studied about character and how important uh, characterization was, then I started studying about character arcs and how can, you know, you make your characters memorable. How, how can you make them, you know, really put them between a rock and a hard place by forcing them to deal with their issues. And because it's horror, you know, a lot of characters have some kind of a ghost or a wound from their past that has prevented them from realizing their full potential or, or coming into happiness or something like that. And usually for me with horror or psychological thriller or something like that, it's, it's going to be something that's very traumatic, like, you know, having your, your head shaved because you went to bed. So there, you know, especially I would say in the covenant sacrifice, some people have complained that they don't, they don't like the romance in it. You know, they just want horror, but I would say that it has a plot that it's a, a dual plot, you know, of horror and gay romance. And there's a particular uh, traumatic situation that happened in the past that is preventing my main character, Jared Huntingdon from, finding happiness in life. And then the horrific plot situation forces him to deal with that so that he resolves both issues at the same time, you know, both the horror plot and the romance plot. So there's, um, yeah, it's all about, it's all about character. It's all about, you know, vulnerability and, um, those kind of relationships now. Well, I can understand your interest in that topic in the auteur sense of, being an author and obviously wanting to write better stories. Um, but from a personal sense, do you have any idea why it is that that is important to you? I think I'm, and the reason, you know, just to be clear, the reason I'm asking that is because that is a topic has seemed to come up even outside of, or before you became an author. Yes, I am uh, getting to the point where I don't know. I, I still seem, I still seem to love all the, horrific things that I loved as a child, like skulls. Um, I'm still dealing with, you know, being accepted as a person, still dealing with coming out and, you know, my orientation. So all of my books, my novels deal with some kind of a personal issue that I guess I need to resolve because they're, important to me and because they're so um i'm trying to look for a word here not traumatic but it's just something that you know i've really needed to deal with in life you know but like coming out that these things are cropping up in my fiction so yes they have happened in my life and I mean, what else can I draw from? They say, write what you know. So I try to do that. So that's why uh, a lot of my new stuff that I'm coming out with, the stuff that's still in the pipeline and the covenant sacrifice that just came out um, has to do with homophobia. 
I like what she said about acceptance and resolution. Cause I was actually writing the word resolution <laughs> like half a second before you <laughs> said it. <laughs> um, and what you said there a second ago about struggling to find a word um, and not wanting to say traumatic. I think what I was feeling there is that having something that's unresolved, it doesn't have to be traumatic for the lack of resolution to be disturbing. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are uh, plenty of situations that are, I guess, great or nagging fears in my life. Things that, you know, have always stuck with me and um, really color how I see things, how I react, how I'm able to connect or not connect with people. And those are the things, you know, my greatest fears uh, that I try to put into my books and hopefully through them come to a better place. You know, if my character can do it, you know, with some ramped up uh, horrific plot in the background, then, you know, maybe I can do it too. Interesting way of segueing into what I was going to ask and may lead into the answer as well. I was going to say, if lack of resolution can be disturbing without being traumatic, then why horror hmm. as a genre? Why not a different genre? Yeah, um, I guess. And this is this is the way I explain it. I don't know whether it's truth or bullshit, but <laughs> um, having dealt with lifelong depression and anxiety. Everything that I've experienced, you know, it's it's not if some things are unique to me and some things are unique to everybody. But a lot of what we experience, a lot of other people experience also. But of course, you feel like uh, or you wonder, like, if you're the only one that feels that way. And so my mental state and my mental health has colored everything that I see. So I have typically looked at things pessimistically and see them kind of in a, in a negative light. And so those are the kind of situations and ideas that I get. They always seem to be couched in horror because, you know, like being confronted in the restroom by somebody, that to me is, that was a great fear and a great horror for me and something that I didn't, didn't like. So how else can I, you know, can I write a story where somebody's like really well adjusted and they look at something and, and they know how to tackle it? That's not me, <laughs> you know. That just sounds boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everything goes right? What? No. Yeah. So Joseph Campbell would not approve. There is no conflict. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I do do try to. Um, you know, if my characters have some kind of a terrible, you know, ghost or wound from their past that they need to deal with, that, you know, I come up with some situation where they actually do deal with it. Um, so they either, you know, have a hero's journey or they're on the road to tragedy. That's fairly accurate for not just horror. <laughs> either, either you're on, on a path to good or you're on a path to bad. One of the yeah. two. Um, well, is there anything that you've thought of that maybe was relevant that hasn't come up on the call? Or maybe you thought of something and then we kind of, you know, the conversation took a left turn. You didn't get to say it. 
I had a uh, Twitter conversation with a guy named Joe Koch, K-O-C-H, and okay. uh, I just got his little novella called The Shipwreck of the Cerberus. He's a literary horror writer, and uh, we were tweeting back and forth about metaphysical things that, that happen, like your story crashing, and then you lose every vestige backup of it. Mm anywhere on your computer and it's gone like last week i deleted my entire author's email list it was just gone <laughs> it's horrible but then we got to talking about um prescience in fiction and you know some of these things that i write about have actually come to pass in my life like in the sixth seed uh, there's a man and his wife that end up in financial straits and they're forced to move to a bad part of town. Well, a, couple, a few years later, the exact same thing happened to me. In Death Perception, there's a character that can um, discern, uh, mediumistically concern, uh, discern the cause of death of the people that he cremates. And so he ends up talking with the dead. Well, you know, I didn't believe, it that, believe anything like that at the time. But 10 years later, I'm living near Lilydale, New York, which is the spiritualist capital of the world, and I'm being trained as a medium. So there's something deep-seated about the, the ideas and, and the things and the situations, the fears, the traumas that I've dealt with. They come out in my writing, and if they're not based on something in the past, then some of them prove true in the future, and I hope that is not the case for the bedwetter <laughs> <laughs> or potentially any of the other things. You've about, really. yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, well, do you by any chance have a cursed pen of some sort? Is it maybe like a relic that makes things come true? <laughs> Possessed typewriter. Uh, <laughs> I used to uh, type on a typewriter. No, I don't, don't have a possessed pen. Okay. Say there's tying back to the monkey's paw. You wished for something. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it's been a pleasant conversation. Yes. Yes, I've enjoyed speaking with you. Yes, same. So thank you to you and to anybody out there listening. If you like what you were doing, help us out. You can either tell a friend or tell a stranger. Support us on Patreon, buy us a coffee, or get some merch. We've got all that and some more on our website, horrormaxishappy.com. 